Um, let me make sure, speaking of which, let me make sure all my devices are on silent so they don't ding. Oh, yeah. Even though mine would sound like a very cute Star Wars droid. <laughs> I'm the best archer in my village. <laughs> beep boop, beep boop. <laughs> don't. <laughs> that, that's a mashup that nobody wanted to happen. BB Alia. <laughs> no, it would not be BB 8. It would definitely be R2 D2. Because they're both little assholes. I'm going to wake up now. Oh, hey. There's a resistance. Whoa. This is crazy. I've got the map you need. I'm the best archer in my village. <laughs> best archer in my village. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program. Faster than an airplane. More powerful than a locomotive. Impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Thought Bubble. It's Wednesday, May 11th, issue number 40. This is a special Flash Civil War issue. Welcome. Hello, Dave. Hello. Issue number 40. That's that sounds like we should have some sort of weird variant cover for this issue. Yeah, is that a tradition in comic book lore? Yeah, so I guess like it would be our normal one, which would be like uh, I don't know, like some sort of Flash and Civil War thing. But then the variant one is like Captain America and Iron Man in like that position where Iron Man's blasting Captain America's shields, except one of us is is like the other one. One one of us is Captain America and one of us is Iron Man. I mean, I'll be only... Iron Man. I'm fine with that. Okay, great. Um, but only if we disagree, right? I mean, that's that's what we should say going into this podcast. What if I'm you... trying to say is I murdered your mother. <laughs> Wait, no. My friend murdered your mother, right? Spoilers name... for Captain America Civil War coming up? I mean, if you're listening to this, haven't you already seen Civil War? <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess we should put some spoiler bars in place. We are going to be talking primarily about Captain America Civil War. Uh, if you're a fan of Fighting the War Room and you wanted to hear Dave talk a little bit more about this movie that he quite liked in the reintroduction of a new Spider-Man, uh, this is the podcast for you. If, if you're want- a fan of Joanna Robinson and how she loves male superheroes to be gay with each other probably also the podcast for you i do love gay superheroes no we will talk about that uh whole thing um but before we get there uh, uh before we we sign on tonight i watched this week's episode of the flash which was directed by kevin smith and written by dave do you know his name zach stents no zach stents. yes yes who wrote thor and a couple other Who's films apparently writing a booster gold movie is news that broke today Fantastic. Uh, if this episode is his audition, I mean, he's written a bunch of movies I've seen, but this episode was fantastic. Uh, whether we chalk that up to the screenplay or the direction or some beautiful uh, alchemical combination of, the, of both, I thought this was the best Flash episode we've had, and I quite like the show. What did you think, Dave? 
Uh, it did a whole bunch of cool things. I mean, I really liked it. First of all, I shouldn't start and like leave people hanging because then they could feel free to tune out the rest of my stupid opinions. But um, I I think that it pulled from a lot of stuff from like Flash lore slash how we tell comic book stories that felt like it shouldn't work. Uh, but it did. So, like, the AV Club uh, review that I read, the Onions AV Club, said it was, like, not as successful as, like, when the Sopranos would have, like, Tony, like, dip into his psyche. And I'm like, obviously not. It's the Flash. It's a completely different, like, some sort of tone. But what is very Flash is Flash getting lost in the Speed Force has happened. Uh, Not really the Speed Force talking to him, like, as his parents, but Iris being the one that's able to, like, always pull Barry back uh, is, is something, like, sort of core from the comics. So having that come back in Echo was fantastic. And then I, otherwise, I think this episode sort of rested on the back of Grant Gustafson's acting ability to sit there and, like, uh, go from zero to weeping and, like, have me be okay with it and then have me be okay with him talking himself through his own rationale for everything being okay instead of having the speed force talk to him so like i I guess it's a confluence of definitely the writing's good it really is sort of like um touching base in the comics with like revisiting your origin but in a different way so you could build up you know that strength to defeat the ultimate enemy and uh yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's going to have to go acting on this one for me of what elevated it above it. It's like not only did it have there were there a lot of comic booky things to be done, especially with like zombie girder uh being resurrected. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh all the performances seemed to be like really on point this episode, especially Grant Gustin's. I mean, Grant Gustin made me cry. Like when <laughs> he got all misty-eyed a couple times and I did too. Um and all of the actors who were playing not only themselves, but also the Speed Force did a great job of sort of clearly defining the difference between their actual character and this sort of benign Speed Force character. Um, I think, as much as I hate to say it, I think Danielle Panabaker has always been kind of a weak spot on the show. And so the fact that Caitlin wasn't in the episode was actually kind of helpful. And but I've also thought Iris has been a weak spot in the show, and she was just phenomenal this week. Yeah, I, her calm "I'm the Speed Force" face is probably the best of the "I'm calm, I'm the Speed Force" faces. <laughs> but also, like you know, she got she got to do action, she got to do comedy. You know, she and Cisco got to do comedy together. Cisco and Harry, who are always funny, were especially funny in this episode. Almost like borderline slapstick, but it worked, and um, it really. I mean. Anyone who's ever heard me talk about anything knows that I'm constantly chasing that Buffy the Vampire Slayer high. And this really (laughs) brought that for me in terms of something that I've been missing from genre television. There's a lot of great genre television right now, but something I really miss is the comedy beats that Joss Whedon, that like the wit that Joss Whedon brought. And I just thought that the comedy really helped balance the, the, like the pathos of Barry connecting with his mom and all of that. So, yeah, this is just, I, I, uh, I'm sad because I feel like next week it's just going to be like a bunch of meta humans from Earth 2 and I'm going to be kind of bored. Uh, because, but I just thought this was truly. You don't want to see self assured Barry do things? 
Salvatore Barry, yeah, but I'm just like worried about who he's fighting. Like in this, it was him chasing himself and connecting with his mom, and 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 Zombie Girder was just like a B plot, C plot almost comedy beat. But the whole Zoom showdown with all the medic, like the last shot of all the metahumans like chanting, did not make me go, ooh, I can't wait till next week, you know. So. Are you really excited? Sorry, I don't mean to like wet blanket, whatever you might be excited for, but um, yeah. I mean, I'm excited in the sense that I haven't, there hasn't been an episode of Flash that's been overload. There's only been episodes of Flash that I felt were like spinning its wheels at times that it didn't need to. So the prospect of overload, I'm willing to go with the show, finding some interesting way around it. And so I'm just really psyched to see Barry that, like, for the first time seems okay with the state of his life at all angles. And even though I know that's going to be temporary because he needs to, you know, do this big showdown, uh, it's it's always fun in a serialized medium where you have to, like, sort of keep characters in, like, strife to have a character you, like, be on sure footing for a little while. And so that's that's where I am. And if yeah, that yeah. leads to like crazy superhero action while he's still feeling good about himself, I'll feel good about myself and see crazy superhero action. I mean, I will say that I really loved the part at the end of this episode where he charges the magnets by using, I don't know, whatever they said, the tilt. I don't remember. But, you know, we had Cisco and Harry there to explain the science of it. Barry's a scientist. And so, yeah, I did get excited about Barry using the various quirks of being the Flash in order to use science to help him defeat his enemies. I think that's a great um, addition. I mean, that's, that's happened on the show before, but that was, that was a great moment, I thought. So. Yeah, well, I want to see how, how they deal with Je- Jesse starting next week, too, because it seems like they've primed her to be a Flash. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I definitely thought it was going to be Wally and Jesse, and I loved how this episode sort of, you know, made me rock back and be like, okay, maybe not Wally. I mean, I'm not, I'm not 100% convinced it's not Wally, even though they did the mug drop, but, um, you know, maybe we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see. But, but Jesse seems for sure. Okay. So anyway, that's the flash. I will say one last thing, which will help me transition into Captain America Civil War, which is, you know, the bigger thing that we're going to talk about. But my last thing is that I'm actually really glad that Iris and Barry ended with like a, it was very sweet, but it wasn't this big romantic moment. It, it was it was love, but it wasn't, oh, Barry and Iris have their first, like, super romantic kiss or, or what have you. Um, because it would have just felt like shoehorned and too much. Like, the way they went, I thought was so much better. So that brings me to Captain America Civil War and and my my running thesis that I'm working on that romance is not good for the Avengers. Mm. Um and, you know, I wrote about this in, in a piece that, that uh, got a lot of people angry about how I felt like they should have left the Cap. I mean, spoilers, right, for Captain America Civil War. More, even more spoilers than I dropped before. <laughs> but um, that they should have left the Cap, Bucky, gay subtext there. And, you know, a few choices they made, including, you know, uh, especially with Sharon Carter, uh, gives Cap a straight love interest when really, like, he could have just been not had a girlfriend. And I just don't, you know, other than like the the angst of the Peggy Steve uh, 
separation, I think, works quite well in the MCU. But Jane as a girlfriend never worked. She's gone. We're going to have a new girlfriend. The the angst of Pepper and Tony being separated also works. It's like, it works best when things are not going well. But when you have these other love stories sort of crammed in there, I didn't like Star-Lord or Gamora either. Like, I just, I don't think these MCU, or, or Bruce Banner and, and Black Widow. Like, I just, I don't like that stuff. And it's not that I don't like kissing books or whatever. I just, uh... What do you think? Like, what do you think, Dave? Do you think that the MCU would be a little bit stronger if it kept things a little bit more platonic? Um, I guess I don't see the reason, a compelling reason to ignore that part of like being a person. Like, I, I mean, it's not, it's never been distracting enough for me that I'd see it anything other than, like, a feign towards what being a hero movie or a hero comic has been at at certain points. Like, there's a girl spot for, like, a love interest. I know, but, like, I mean, what's what's interesting is that the MCU is slowly getting better at that girl spot not being a girlfriend but being part of the team, you know? So I agree. Like the classic example to me would be your Spider-Man stories, right? Your Gwen's and your Mary Jane's like Spider-Man to me seems the most romance filled uh, superhero stories that we've seen um, other than Cap, Cap and Peggy. And um, I just, I don't think Mary Jane and Gwen are that interesting despite me liking Kirsten Dunstan and uh, Emma Stone a lot. And I'm speaking purely from a film level, not from a comic book level. I just, I, I want to see our new Peter Parker, who I quite liked. I don't really care who his girlfriend is. Like, oh I'm no. So, I'm so much more interested in like what hijinks he can get up into, you know? Like, I, I mean, I think you're going to get some hijinks, but. I think he's going to need a date to that homecoming dance or something. I, I mean, I think that's true. And you're right that it's part of life. It just seems like it's, it as you say, it's a fame to like an older structure of comic book where you have your hero who has a lot of muscles. You've got a girlfriend. You've got a sidekick. You've got an alter ego. You've got these like boxes that you tick. Well, even if you've like, got a love interest, like regardless of sex, regardless of gender probably very dependent on sex but regardless of gender i'm not gonna make that point yet regardless of gender that like love interest whole exists in the story to you know make for easy stakes week to week or movie to movie or story to story like that the component of having somebody else in your life unless you're batman is usually like pretty uh not integral but there have been you know there's probably a comic exploring that with whatever character you're going to pick up. So it's like uh, the Sharon Carter part could have been a Bucky part, but that part had to exist in the story and has to exist for Captain America. I feel. I don't know. I just felt, it felt to me, I like Sharon Carter. I like Emily Van Camp. Um, But that like the whole kiss thing felt like, not just a fame towards old comic book dynamics, but also sort of, oh, we've got this strapping hero. We need him to get the girl uh, to fulfill some sort of demographic in the audience. Some demographic in the audience need to see Chris Evans kiss a girl. And I just feel like 
I would have rather seen Emily Van Camp on the tarmac. Now, when I say that, a lot of people are like, she would have been smushed in two seconds. That's probably true. But like, I don't know, sniping from somewhere with, with like stun gun or something. Like, I would rather see Sharon Carter fight than Sharon Carter kiss, personally. So. Sure. But in the last movie, they filled their kiss quota with Black Widow. So, fine. Yeah, right? But that was, but they were like, fr- I mean, they were flirtatious friends, but they were friends, right? Or are you talking about Ultron? Are you talking Winter Soldier or Ultron? I'm talking about uh, Winter Winter Soldier. Yeah, but Winter Soldier, it was, uh, it was like, I loved their dynamic in Winter Soldier. And that's why I love Natasha, except for the Hulk thing. But I love Natasha's relationship with almost everyone, or the main, the main people, you know? She doesn't really have a Thor relationship. But her relationship with Cap, with Hawkeye, and, and even with Tony, even as antagonistic as it is, I, I just love that stuff. And... I, I think she's so much more interesting in this other role, you know? I guess without her character in the movie, in the exact position that she's in, all that uh, Steve is giving up at the end is being part of the Avengers. Like, he's not leaving a life to be a fugitive in the world or anything like that. Like, there's... But do you feel like leaving Sharon Carter behind really... I mean, I don't think he's leaving her behind. She's a spy in Germany who already said that, you know, basically proved to him that she would break all the rules to to help him and see him. I mean, so she's going to like help him, but I yeah, don't think so it's going to be goes, like a relationship thing. Like well, it's different if she's a superhero. As, I think it's going to be as functional a relationship as a superhero can possibly have. Right? Uh, On or off the grid, you know? Like, that's dangerous because killing off Peggy at the beginning of Civil War means that like he's having giving him like a non-super connection, I guess is important, but then Oh, man. No, I don't think so. It seems like that's just... I like I liked the, I liked the Peggy funeral a lot. And sure. And I like the Pepper and Tony breakup a lot. I was listening to the Empire podcast spoiler special where they were talking to the Russos. I think it was the Russos or it might have been Kevin Feige. But I think it was the Russo part of the interview where they were talking about how losing Pepper really unmoors Tony and puts him in a place where he's vulnerable to have this very emotional reaction. A lot of people accuse Cap of being emotionally compromised, but Tony is very emotionally compromised in this movie. And I think that's true. I loved that. I love using the romance for that as like a weakness, but as a prize or as a, you know, the hero gets the, yeah, the hero gets the girl sort of thing. It just, um, I don't know if he gets a girl through a kiss, but he gets to have a normal life maybe with her, but it, until he gives that up to be a crazy fugitive superhero. Okay. Like, we she's will- <laughs> government. Regardless, of, if you yeah. put her on the tarmac, that's, like, she's on Team Cap's side. Like, right. that's just what happens. And so now she's still presumably in the government, and that's still anti-Captain America. So her position in the story is opposite. And well, if she- you make her a hero, you make it really complex, like the Black Widow Hulk thing, where like in order to like run away from resolving that ever, they had to shoot Hulk off into nowhere. <laughs> well, um, yeah, and Sharon can be his man on the inside, and so that's an interesting place for her to be. 
I will put a pin in this. I will not like for you know die on this hill. I will say that this could all play out in a very interesting way. It would be um, different if there was a movie that was about like a loving relationship, like being built between a superhero and somebody else or two superheroes. But that's just not been the plot of these movies. So I'm like, yeah, there haven't been like great romance stories in the marvel movies but there also have only been like a handful of great climaxes overall so it's like i think some of these things are just like it's not for lack of trying it's just for lack of alchemy my theory on this is that i'm gonna go ahead and blame joss whedon whose favorite thing is to make like dysfunctional romances or no one ever gets to be happy so Mm. All the dysfunctional romances I'm going to blame on Joss Whedon. Um, all right. So that's that was probably more time than you guys wanted to spend on the relationships of Captain America Civil War. But uh, next, we're going to talk about the ending and the stakes. So seriously, spoiler alert. Uh, we had a couple emails and, and some tweets from people wanting to know. Dave was pretty certain going into this movie based on... Uh, we could talk, I guess, vaguely about some things. So... It was there was definitely a draft of a script read by somebody that ended okay. with Captain America dying. Then later we were told by somebody <laughs> close to production a friend of mine was told by somebody close to production that that person was responsible for killing Captain America. And we had what we thought was a character, which lined up with the comics, which was Crossbones, so it all seemed to make sense. And then, like, right before they started screening it, somebody swore that they had talked to somebody who had seen Bucky get fitted for a Captain America costume at some point. Like, uh, Sebastian Stan, not Bucky. Like, right. Theoretically. So uh, it all seemed like things were lining up and then it screened and you would not believe like the text messages that sent off the emails. <laughs> no, I mean, the Brousseau brothers deny having, you know, ever had another version of the movie that wasn't this. Like they said that, yeah. you know, whoever they're like stuff like Ant-Man and Spider-Man and what they were going to do sort of fluctuated and like the wasp sort of darted in and out, but there was never a different ending. So, which would mean at some point, uh, I mean, it's possible that the first script, since that's the first thing that happened was either like really well done or specifically placed to throw people off the scent. And then everybody else just sort of like, uh, confirmation biased the rest of the thing forward but it was nice to go see civil war and be surprised yeah i mean i I didn't bring that up to be like uh dave was wrong i you know i brought that up mostly to be to say it's not just you because based on the comic books a lot of people went in with the expectations that there would be a major death in this movie whether it was cap whether it was Tony because they flipped, you know, the the roles to surprise people, whether or not it was Rhodey because we saw that shot in the trailer of him with his back broken. There's also um, a character, a black character killed um, by a laser blast in the Civil War comics. It's not uh, War Machine, but that's also why people thought maybe Rhodey. 
Okay, yeah. So people had all these theories going in, and then they go in, and, you know, the worst thing that happens is Rhodey gets his back broken, and, like, I guess Hawkeye can't see his kids for a while, because um, <laughs> they're on the run. <laughs> uh, who cares? <laughs> that baby won't even remember. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, so the question is, were the stakes believable in this enough in this movie? Would this movie be better with a big death in it? Are we okay with this ending? Should the Winter Soldier have died or gone full villain? Or what? Is it weird to just put him on ice, like basically press pause on him? I'm in, I'm going to start <laughs> and say two things. One, I believe, I mean, I believe really the, the main reason they put Bucky on ice is so that he could be in Black Panther. I mean, it feels like they're going to wake him up and he's going to be in Black Panther. This answers another question we got where someone asked if all future movies were going to be basically team-up movies. And I think that's true. I mean, we've already seen this with the Hulk sort of crashing Thor Ragnarok. Like, I think they are going to try to seed in characters as much as they possibly can. You know, Iron Man is going to be in Homecoming, you know, like just trying to cross-pollinate to keep interest. Um, so that's one thing. Number two, I actually didn't really mind that nobody died. I really liked that, you know, as, as you, Dave pointed out on the fighting the worm episode, Zemo's plan was to tear the Avengers apart from the inside, which has actually been everyone's plan in basically every Avengers movie, but Zemo's the first one to succeed. And the movie ends with some pot, like potential for reconciliation, between Cap and Tony on, on the horizon, but really a broken Avengers team. And I think that those stakes are uh, impactful enough that it it felt okay to me. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I think this movie is more a transition for the Marvel Cinematic Universe than any other, like, switch between phases before, because... Sure, it's going to be team movies, not necessarily because they've all been, you know, best told that way, but because Marvel's the only, you know, like, cinematic universe that has managed to make this consistently work, and that's like a sort of magic that you don't want to let go, and people seem to be having fun with it, so they're going to do it. And so it's also really, I guess, encouraging to see them introduce Spider-Man and Black Panther here, and have that those introductions feel whole and real to the characters so that I'm ready to see, you know, the next scene with Tom Holland and Robert Downey Jr. uh, when Spider-Man Homecoming comes out next year. Uh, As for the stakes, it didn't bother me because I've settled into the promise that we've made enough of these hits that we're in like a serial now. So I didn't, you know, it's it's full-on Empire Strikes Back feeling at the end for me. Because, like, yeah, there are big personal things. No one, like, died. But it's a comic book movie. So even if somebody had died, it would have, like, had the exact same effect that the ending of this movie had. Which is that they could, you know, come back for another movie. Uh, like, Winter Soldier could be in Black Panther. Or they could just, you know, wait until there's somebody you can control the mind gem to like boot him back up and yank him out uh you know wait for magic to stitch all the plots together which i'm fairly sure is what they're betting on here but you know i guess we gotta trust in the christopher marcus and something mcfeely stephen mcfeely 
I might have switched those first names. The writers <laughs> of Civil War who are also doing Infinity War. Well, okay, so you you, you just tossed this off, but but we'll 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 take this chance to answer a Twitter question we got, which is from from at Bradley of Martin, and he said, "Which gem is in Vision's forehead? Are they ever going to name th- name it? And if not, is that a bad thing? So, which gem is in Vision's forehead? Which he like." As as Katie Rich on the Fighting Warrior podcast said, she was very happy there was no Thanos and Infinity Gauntlet talked about in this movie at all. But Vision did make sure we remembered that he had a gemstone in his forehead. So, you know, what do we know about that, Dave? Um, so none of the gems have been named like they were in the comics, but people have been lining them up based on what they can do vaguely. And so... The mind gem is what's in Vision's forehead because it was formerly in the scepter and it allowed Loki to control people's minds. Uh, the orb from Guardians of the Galaxy is the power gem. The aether from uh, Thor, the dark world, is the reality gem, which is sort of like weird, but you know, it wasn't like that anyway. It sort of like rips all those holes and anyway, not important. And then the space gem would be the tesseract because it could sort of you know, create these little gateways to other sides of space. And we have not seen the soul gem, presumably, or the time gem, but the, like, vague lineup between the gems and the powers uh, is where we base all our guesses on which gems are where. But, like, honestly, they're just just infinity stones. There's enough of them to fit in a glove. I'd be surprised if we get, you know, named beyond that. MacGuffin, MacGuffin, MacGuffin. Um, Do you think that uh, you think that the time gem is in Doctor Strange, right? Yes. Right, okay. Because I think even though we haven't been shown it, that there is a time travel element to Doctor Strange. Okay, we have another vision question, and this comes from at Becca Fishy, and I should have um, mentioned this when we were talking about romance, but she said, was Vision distracted because he was crushing on Wanda, or is it a Thanos Infinity Stone foreshadow? Um, my answer, like especially on, on the tarmac situation, my answer is that he was concerned for Wanda. But but what's interesting is, I mean, I am going to keep citing this Empire podcast interview because I, I learned a lot from it. And one of the things that the Russos basically admitted is that they kind of fudged Wanda's and Vision's powers a little bit because it's impossible to have this fight and not have it be over in two seconds with people as powerful as Vision and Wanda in the fight. And so Wanda is limited by the fact that she's nervous to use her powers because she feels so much guilt over Sokovia, et cetera, et cetera. And Vision, uh, they say in their version, he... Like, the way he flies is different. So he, like, phases, and and it makes him less powerful. Their explanation didn't really satisfy me, because Vision seems like he should have been more active in that fight. Um, but at the very end, when he, when he kind of quasi-misfires, uh, I believe it's over-concerned for Wanda, uh, his teenage love interest. Uh, Dave, what did you think? Yep, but he's a robot, so that's fine. Okay. He's a but robot yeah, no, played by a 40-something-year-old man, so... Yeah. I would not be surprised if uh, this relationship is really given some time uh, before Thanos gets to Earth and rips that gem out of his skull. But more importantly, I guess, it, as it refers to our question, um, I don't think that just because Thanos wants the gems that he's able to like get the gems and I don't think the gem this particular gem 
has like a mind of its own just because it's the mind gem. So I don't think that the gem would affect him necessarily as he's shooting a laser out of it, as far as I know. Um, so this is a question not from Twitter or email, but from my own head, which is, it's a really simplistic reaction question, but my answer is pretty simplistic. So I'm curious what your answer is. Are you team cap or are you team Tony? Which side are you on? Or I'll say this, I'll say this going in, which side did you think that you would, you know, feel more infinity towards affinity, not infinity, affinity towards and coming out. Did that change in any way? Uh, I guess going in, I planned to be team cap because it was his movie and I didn't know like what the accords are kind of coming out. I'm kind of team Iron Man just in the sense that like ultimately if the bombing at the UN thing didn't happen, Cap just would have retired and not been an Avenger, which would have just made him Nomad, which is what he ended up at the end of the, sorry, Nomad's a comic book hero when Captain America briefly was angry with the government because of something with Nixon, I think. Um, gave up being Captain America and dressed up as Nomad and went and fight crime. But, like, Steve Rogers is, you know, his position is basically what Tom Holland says, which is like you can't let bad things happen through your inaction. So I have no idea that he wouldn't have stopped. He wouldn't have been on the Avengers. So I don't think the Sokovia Accords are, like, horrible in the story universe because everybody has a point because they do just run around like destroying things. And like, just because the movie couldn't support having black Panther uh, up and, or the movie universe couldn't support having black Panther up until now. Doesn't mean it's not really concerning that in age of Ultron, they like invaded uh, like the, the most uninvadable like country from the comics to get like stolen, uh, uh, vibranium to like build this weird robot thing. So uh, yeah, the Avengers are way too powerful. Hmm. Okay. And I mean, like, if you didn't get there, if we didn't get here before Infinity War, then we are definitely going to get there, like, whenever they decide that it's a good storyline to finally do World War Hulk, which like isn't any time. They're not planning to do that, but like, that's just too good of a storyline to not have Hulk break everything the problem for me like the reason so i went in team cap i came out team cap particularly because a lot of it hinges on this question of should the avengers have autonomy because are there are their motivations and their instincts right and if steve is in charge i believe they are like tony is the one who created ultron and made the big mess right in 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 age of Ultron, like that wasn't cap's fault and it's cap who, you know, yes, he is clouded by his affection for Bucky, but it's cap who says, Hey, let's wait and figure out what happened to this bombing because I think something's off here. And I don't think this is right. And he was right. Tony was wrong. Tony jumped to a conclusion and he was wrong. So maybe Tony needs oversight, but I don't think cap does because I don't. And, and I think we can all sympathize with his distrust of the government after winter soldier. You know, I just, I, agree with cap that governmental oversight is has proven both in real life and in the mcu to not be 
you know, a reliable, level-headed source of judgment. And I would hate to see the Avengers drafted into doing, you know, cleanup work for whatever cause du jour there may be. I mean, I, I mean, the UN, I'm not saying the UN is, are like, they're not villains, obviously, but, you know, Hydra could get anywhere. Who knows? You know, and, and Cap is like, I don't want to be a foot soldier for an organization I don't trust. I want to use my own instincts. And his instincts... I think are pretty much always right. I mean, I understand that he's got this soft spot for Bucky, but like, especially at the end when Iron Man goes like completely bonkers, when Tony goes bonkers, like he's wrong. I understand that he's upset about his mom, but he's wrong because Bucky can't be held accountable for what the Winter Soldier did because he's brainwashed. Like that's 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 nonsense to try to kill Bucky for something that an evil organization brainwashed him into doing, tortured and brainwashed him into doing. So I just, I think Tony, I mean, I'm biased. I've always loved Steve more than Tony, but I just think Tony is emotionally compromised and wrong. He's, he's driven by guilt. He's driven by loneliness. He's driven by, you know, and then at the end, you know, grief over, over his parents. So I mean, I, <laughs> I guess we're we're differing on what it means to be Team Cap or Team Iron Man because, like, I I don't know. I get I get what you're saying about Cap being a good leader, but like, let's pretend we live in this world, but like also have the knowledge of living in the real world. Like, Superman's totally trustable until he's snapping necks in downtown Metropolis, right? Well, don't bring <laughs> Warner Brothers into this. <laughs> Cap has never done well, that. I'm like not going to win like, the argument without doing it, Joanna. <laughs> if Cap had done that, if Cap had gone like, if if they had, if the films had ever shown Cap doing something truly reckless for Bucky, and maybe you guys might be able to disagree with me on this, like maybe some of the destruction in Winter Soldier could have been mitigated if he hadn't been quite as careful about Bucky. Like maybe you could make that argument, and you're probably right. Um, but I just, I don't think that Cap has ever done anything that can't be defined as somehow right. That's his, like, core characteristic. He's good and he's right and he's not terrible pissy Superman, you know? <laughs> well, and- right, right. I mean, the, the way, the, the thing this movie wants you to do, but they don't hit it hard enough, which is kind of the movie's fault. But if you were, like, I guess watching all these movies in succession it would hit home is that he figured out at winter soldier that Bucky killed Tony's parents and he never, he never told them. Well, he made an assumption like, yes, I think, I think what the Russo said is that he had all the information, like he, yeah, he had the information. It's not that like you read a file that said like, and then the winter soldier killed the Starks. It's like Hydra killed Starks right around the time that the winter soldier was their main hitman. Uh, so he knew and he didn't know and he, and he kept it from Tony in order to protect Bucky. Probably that's true. Right. I mean, but there I mean, was a interview, I, mean, I think the Rousseau's he- did with Mashable where they were saying like that and he didn't bring it to the forefront of his mind just because it like would have only hurt Tony and like hurt the relationship with Bucky. But like, that's a, that's a choice. That's a choice that he made. That- but it's not a choice. Motive. That's not a bad choice. It's not a bad choice to keep the fact that your brainwashed friend, because it wasn't even Bucky. It was the Winter Soldier, you know? Like, sure. And, he, and, he, and Tony has never been friendly to Steve. I was rewatching um, the first Avengers, and he's an asshole to Steve right from the jump, because as 
many of our listeners pointed out to me because of Tony's daddy's is- daddy issues and the fact that he's jealous of Steve in the first place because his dad, I guess, talked about Steve too much. Um, but he is an asshole to Steve from the moment they meet in the Avengers. And so the fact that Steve wouldn't feel too inclined, you know, because Tony said this thing of like, I thought I was your friend too. I'm like, when? When have we ever seen Tony treat Steve as a friend? As like a, um, a wary ally, maybe. But not as, a, not as a friend. There is a moment in Avengers where there, you know, it's the Battle of New York, which I watched like five times in a row because I just love it so much. And Tony basically get, lets Cap be the general because, you know, Captain has the battle experience. And so he's like, Cap, what should we do? And, and, and Steve directs everyone. That's like the most friendly Tony has ever been to Steve. And so I think I just, there was a whole party in Age of Ultron, but okay. But like, I, I, I just don't, I don't, um, I, I mean, interpersonally, if he, if, he done, if he had done that to like Natasha, it, it, it would land more with me, but their relationship has always been antagonistic. So for him to play the friend card just really doesn't work. doesn't work for me. No, but I am hugely steep biased. It's very obvious. So yeah, that's like a, you're talking about like personal reasons. What, I, what I'm saying is in like a government oversight of superhero things, if people have personal responsibility, that's fine. Actually, you know what? I could say this about all the world, not just superhero things. I'm ready. If people have personal responsibility, that's great. And that's ultimately the great thing. But you can't count on everybody having personal responsibility or people were taking responsibility for their actions if they're in a position of power. What you can count on with like this idea of democracy and oversight is there's a whole bunch of people to shoulder the blame and fall on their swords if something really bad happens because it was a whole bunch of people's bad decision. I just like what what's what's interesting to me to couple things is the fact that Ross who is not at all a sympathetic character or someone that I would want in control of anything is the flag bearer for this the Sokovia Accords it makes them unappealing to me. And then the fact that a lot of the destruction that they, that he showed as evidence of them being out of control was like, I mean, Ultron, okay, they can take responsibility for her if they want to. The mess in DC, that's Hydra's fault, right? That's a, that's a government agency. S.H.I.E.L.D., Hydra, it's their fault, DC. Battle New York, those giant aliens from the sky and the Avengers, like the planet would be gone if the Avengers hadn't been there. So that is an example of their wanted destruction. I mean, sure, the Hulk was like tearing up skyscrapers, but I like I, I just I I can't I can't get behind that as evidence of the recklessness. Now, if you want to look if you want to look to Ultron, I think the biggest problem for me here is that Ultron just so didn't work for me as a movie, mm-hmm. and, and so I'm reluctant to look back on it as this example of. Avengers unchecked, but, sure. uh, you know, the Hulk being mind controlled by Wanda and then rampaging through a city is a really good example of Avengers unchecked and the destruction that they can, you know, rain down on people. And Zemo as a human victim of their destruction was the, the perfect villain for this movie. I really loved him. Um, but yeah, I just, I still, like, I, cause so, I, so I hear you, and intellectually I hear you, I just, I, there's something inside of me that bucks the notion that government oversight would be the best possible thing here. I don't know. Yep. I mean, it's the difference between, like, you know, 
de- Democrats and Libertarians, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, I never. I- I never thought I was. No, no, no. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just trying. I'm having. A no, no, no. I'm just. I'm very happy that you're like. <laughs> I've somehow cornered you into a libertarian argument. I know. I know. I don't. I don't like that. I was argue, like. I went to go see the movie with a friend of mine who happens to be politically conservative, and he and I were arguing over which character was more conservative, Cap or <laughs> Tony. So it was a naughty. It was a complicated argument, but it was. It was really interesting to me. Um, okay, so that's our. I, that was I like. I'm glad we talked about that. Um, okay, I'm gonna throw another Twitter question in here, which is from yeah at Big Tall Drew. This is related to where I was sitting when I saw this. How many times have you seen Civil War, Dave? Twice, just twice. Twice. Okay, so I've only seen it once, and unfortunately, our seats were really close to the screen, and so when I was watching it, I was worried that me being sort of in like the fifth fifth row was uh in a huge screen was making the action really crappy but when i heard a lot of other people's reactions it turns out that everyone thinks the action was kind of crappy so the question is from big tall drew and he says do you wish the film was more interesting from a filmmaking standpoint great as a culminating story but dot 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 so basically um i mean i take this to mean that as a piece of art maybe it's just sort of serviceable but not beautiful in any by any definition and i've never had the problem with the look of the mcu that that you know uh, matt patches or david ehrlich um have expressed they've called it flat and all these sort of things i've never had that problem i did think the action was a garbage nightmare um i mean the tarmac fight is amazing and the final battle between bucky and um cap and tony is also amazing but the the way it's shot was very jerky Well, it grows. I think the first tolerable fight in the movie is when Bucky escapes uh, from the holding place, the government place where they're holding it. Like, that at least is the first time that it seems like they are also aware of geography, because they do some stuff with basically how far uh, Chikala could jump and stuff like that. So they're forced to reckon with the geography of the situation and they're in like a single, you know, like rectangular shaped thing. So whether by choice or just by default, they start to open up the movie in that action scene. And then like basically the wider and more continuous they could get, the better. I've watched some of the B-roll of like them making this movie and like they do some amazing stuff with the camera but it seems like because so much of it's practical or because it's like really amazing, it needs to be in very short bursts and cuts. And when they take the time to sort of like allow a good bit of choreography or a great special effect to play out where you can see all of it, it seems really great. Uh, the problem is, is that like all these really great things are happening, but there isn't like the connective tissue between the two things that make a great action sequence. Like, I don't always know like the, okay. So there's the thing where, uh, Bucky and, uh, Falcon fight Spider-Man and like, a Oh yeah. Yeah. Like a, thing. Uh, they're like inside, right? It's like a terminal. Yeah. 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 At yeah. the airport. And the only time they establish where that is is through a 3D zoom of Iron Man's helmet, and you see like Bucky, and he's like, "There, Winter Soldier and Falcon are there." Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, I'm on it, and then just like swings off left. And I'm like, I have no idea where that is in the spot of the tarmac because when he's in it, you like you can't really see like explosions on the outside. It's in like some weird 
we're not part of the great fight yet because, you know, we have to introduce other characters. Vision's just, like, weirdly absent until he draws a line in the sand. So it's like... Yeah, the Vision thing, I think they cheated that. And that's, I mean, I can't really begrudge them that because what are they going to do? But I think they definitely cheated that, right? He just, like, disappears. Um, It's this weird thing that's like... I thought the Terminal was... Like above and I thought that there was like an establishing shot where the terminal was like above and behind, like where the tarmac is. That they were like if they looked out the window to the left of them, they would have looked down over the tarmac. That's Isn't where I that thought it where was. The hangar with the No, the hangar so like well, let's say <laughs> let's say the tarmac runs north south and the hangar with the Quinjet is at the far north. Team Cap starts at the far south of the tarmac, and then that would make the terminal on the east side of the tarmac. That Isn't was that m- where the parking structure is? Mm, I don't know. Who goes in the parking structure? And then there's well, like a the, big there's a big plane between Team Cap and the Quinjet. Right? No, the Wanda's pulling cars from the parking structure oh, to yeah, throw yeah, at yeah. people. Made you look. Oh, what a great moment. Oh, um, either way, the fact that we have to have this conversation shouldn't be true. happening with like that's an action true. movie. It's the same thing where it's like, do you use guided view on your digital comics ever? No, I hate it. I hate it. I mean, I sometimes like it, but it depends greatly on the artist because some people use the full page to deliver, yeah. you know, like what the action's doing. Uh, but guided view is just going to show you like the key moments. This felt like all the key moments kind of slid together without like the greater page layout, except for the giant splash page, which ironically means it's just one image. <laughs> so, what are you well, what are you going to do? Well, something I will say is that, um, like I said, I rewatched the Battle of New York a couple times because a lot of people were touting the tarmac fight as like the best um, MCU fight ever. And I think the Battle of New York is the best MCU fight ever. So I was rewatching that to sort of make sure it was fresh in my mind. And um, I think for character integration and geography, Battle of New York wins. Because, like, in terms of the tower and the street level and the Hawkeye's perch, like, it all makes sense. Who goes up to the tower, down to the street, Hawkeye's perch, back there, you know. Um, the, the tarmac... Maybe I maybe I just need to watch it one more time to get it more cemented uh, in my brain. But you, I think seen you might need to be you might need to be a teenage boy because what it is is it's like <laughs> if you've ever talked about which two char- comic book characters are gonna like win, like you end up in a debate over like what power interacts with what power. Well, That's no, I, what I, this I, delivers on. I it's mean, not like the greatest you know action sequence, but it's like. Usually, like, when I was a kid and I wanted to see something versus something, it was usually, like, Godzilla versus something stupid, and it was just another version of something being slammed against each other, and that's fine. But, like, when you're debating, like, you know, is Wolverine going to, like, fight the Hulk, there's a period in my life where my argument's different because I haven't seen the Hulk rip Wolverine in half and ultimate uh, Wolverine and Hulk. And then after that point in my life, the argument becomes different because it's about powers being stacked up against each other so the fact that you get to see like spider-man fight atman is just going to push my love of this scene like far beyond what's like probably rationally available to other people and i guess i should well a couple things first of all i don't know that you have to be a teenage i mean maybe you have to be a teenage boy but um you know you and i, I mean a, maybe it helps it helps you, me <laughs> a teenage boy. you and i did a podcast for a couple of years about the legend of Korra, and that show is all about 
how would a waterbender fight a firebender? Like, that was the coolest stuff in the whole world to me. Like, that kind of fighting, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of what you're talking about. And I really did like that aspect. It was really interesting. And, uh, you know, to a certain degree, though, they had to bend the story. It felt like they had to bend the story to fit that tarmac fight. Like, I really do feel like Black Widow had to be on Tony's team. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And it makes sense that she sort of reverses in the end. Like, going to this movie, I was just really upset that Natasha was on Tony's team in the lineup. Until someone was like, well, Hawkeye needs someone to fight who won't immediately kill him. And I was like, oh, okay. So, they, you know, it felt like they need to shuffle the deck so that they had a girl on each side. They had Hawkeye and Black Widow on each side. They had Vision and Wanda on each side. They had some mixed race situation on each side. Like, that's what it seemed like to me. That the story had to suit these two teams in that way. And um, it's not the worst thing. Like, they did as as good a job as they could have with that. But, like, do, do you think that's fair and accurate? That they had to, like, that this that dynamic that you're talking about, like watching this person fight this person drove a lot of how they split this, uh, these teams. Um, maybe I'm not exactly sure. I mean, the interesting thing is that if there's one thing that's, you know, the script, uh, works maybe at the expense of being exciting or, or is exciting maybe at the expense of be- making complete sense all the time. So it's like it has a, it propels you through this story that the only major consequence is it's going to break off some of the Avengers. And in order to go through that, sometimes people need to contort so they have what appears to be like an arc that's satisfying that moves you through the story. So like definitely that and its length are things that I'll probably hold against this movie afterwards, but it didn't bother me in the moment, even the second time around when I was like, I want to make sure that I'm tracking Natasha's like thought process here. It it continually still doesn't bother me, even though I couldn't really tell you why I felt okay about her like joining team Captain America in that first or team Iron Man in that first like sit down with Rhodey and everybody like she even makes some sort of joke or Tony's like oh I didn't think you'd agree with me and she's like well now I want to change my mind and it's like, yeah. like a laugh line so it's like the script works in a way to sort of force the pieces into the place that they need to be right Zemo like to like move forward it's not the most elegant thing. It's not perfect. It's not, you know, it doesn't have the the Force Awakens feel even to it, but I, I enjoyed the shit out of it. No, I mean, I, like, I, you know, my overall thing is I enjoyed it. I, I it just, I don't like when I can see the stitch work on a screenplay, and I feel like to a certain extent I can see that here. Um, I really do respect, uh, like, you know, what I keep coming back to this movie is less love and more just sheer admiration because I saw Joss Whedon who I think is one of the most talented human beings in the whole world fail in in my opinion in Age of Ultron in the almost the exact same way that the Russo succeeded which is make a really serviceable movie for the heavy heavy burden of pivoting the MCU where it needs to go and servicing all these different characters at the same time. 
you know, like, and I think Whedon is brilliant and I think Ultron is not. And I think the Russos are, are great and Captain America's of War is great. They did such a good job. I think you pointed this out on Finding the Worm. They did such a good job of giving everyone something in this movie. You don't, like, not everyone gets the most amazing arc in the whole world. But, like, you know, Paul Rudd is in the movie hardly at all. But the time that he's in there, it's memorable and it's great. And you're glad he's there. And you don't feel like, oh, they wasted Paul Rudd. You feel like, oh, hey, they had a small part to give Paul Rudd and they, he made the most of it and it was great. And I loved it. You know, like, that's how I feel about it. I, I don't feel like there's anyone in this movie where I was just, like, really disappointed that they didn't have more. I still think that Scarlett Johansson is, like, uh, maybe their strongest player, uh, in my opinion. And that's not just my social justice warrior feminism speaking. And so, but I was fine with the level of Black Widow in this movie. I just think it is well past time that she gets her own movie. But, um, yeah. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a, I think that like the things that you are, are missing, uh, in civil war to make it like even more perfect for you. I think like if you were to try to insert those things, I think that's the problem that like, Joss Whedon ended up like falling on is he tried to make everybody's thing very specific and like angst filled and he's right walked in he's like I knew the second I was doing Avengers 2 that I was doing Ultron and it's like well man maybe you should have you know started with your character thing and figured out like maybe don't do Quicksilver and you know uh, Scarlet Witch or and Ultron, just because you know you feel you feel like it, and, and so no, like, you're right. You're, much- you're so right because I I love Whedon's emotionality, but like we like to have Black Widow struggle with her sterility, but not have enough time to really address it. To have Hawkeye reveal his secret family, but not really have enough time to address it. You know, like he went almost too deep in the limited time he had for everyone, so that right. it felt um, not full enough. Whereas to have Natasha in this movie, like struggling with some of her personal affiliations. It was a perfect level of engagement. And Hawkeye just showed up and he quipped. And it was, and you felt the debt that he owed to Wanda briefly. You felt his family connection briefly. But then mostly, you know, no Hawkeye. You're not a main character in this movie. So you're going to show up and you're going to quip. And it's going to be the right level of Hawkeye for this movie. Yeah? Yeah. I I think it really just, the, the efficiency of it. Even like yeah, even though there may not have been enough for some things, there wasn't enough to hang them. There wasn't enough rope to hang anybody by. Right, and I think that's still why, for me, when I rank the movies, Winter Soldier is still the top for me, only because they had fewer pieces that they had to service, so they could go like a little deeper on the various players. Um, but. Civil War is really up there for me in terms of uh, it's a great movie and really serviceable. And I think in some of these other movies, you know, uh, Kevin Feige and the Russos, I think, have been talking about how much they really want, they really do want to diversify the MCU and they don't mean diversify in terms of we're going to have a movie with a black dude and we're going to have a movie with a lady. Um, they mean we're going to have Doctor, St- well, maybe we should talk about diversity in Doctor Strange. But what I mean is, we're going to have a weird magic movie directed by Scott Derrickson. Like we want to do more, push more into the guardians of the galaxy territory where we took a risk with something weird and it paid off well. Um, 
I want to believe them that that's true. This feels like serviceable and great. And what they want to do with these other movies, like Doctor Strange, is make it, maybe maybe make something incredible. I don't know. If well, I mean, this one made me excited for the serviceable Earthbound movies, which I was worried about. Yeah. Like, everyone loves the idea of maybe doing something crazy. And at least me as a Marvel fan, even if it's a failure, I'm going to probably champion the efforts over anything else. Um, unless it's organic webbing. Um, but it won't be. So uh, I, I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited that Civil War has made me be like, you know what? Maybe I do want to see Iron Man 4. Yeah. I didn't think so before, but now I feel like maybe there's part of the story that I wanted to see there. And I wasn't expecting that coming out of it. I was expecting to be like, well, on to Doctor Strange, who will not reference this event at all. I will say that um, however much I was Team Cap, I, this is my favorite Iron Man performance. This is the best Robert Downey Jr. has been in that role, I think. Like, he's great. He's always charismatic and funny. But uh, Tony has always run me the wrong way, and this is the most sympathetic he's ever been, I think. Um, I'm going to ask you a quick question. Quick Twitter question. <laughs> All right. Uh, Terrence Johnson is at, at Lenoir at Autour. Says, aside from the airport sequence, what was your favorite action beat? Uh, Dave, what's your answer? Oh, man, I should have thought about this beforehand. I can My answer. Favorite- okay, go. Do it. Okay. Uh, it's almost tied, but I think I have to give it to Steve trying to wrestle a helicopter back onto a roof using only his bonkers biceps. Uh, that shot of his like just bulging arms was really very incredible. So, yeah. Ooh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. All right, action beat. Um, if I have to go like broad, I'm going to say the... Bucky chase where we first see Black Panther but if I have to go really specific when Bucky's escaping and he sort of like uh, knocks Tony out of the way uh, Black Widow comes up and fights him for a little while and then she gets up on his head and then just starts like throwing elbows down on his head (laughs) as he's walking forward and the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, shit. And the second time I saw it, I like knew it was coming. But two rows in front of me, some guy went, oh, shit. <laughs> so that's probably my favorite. I really do love all the, like, you know, fighting that Black Widow does. All of her, like, sneaky spy shit that she does. It's great. Uh, two other shout-outs that I will give to Action Beats is there's... Um, Bucky on the, like, getting on the motorcycle, right? And then... Oh, yeah. um, At the end, you know, it's in the trailers, but, you know, Bucky and Steve caroning the shield around against Iron Man was also really great, so... Way to avoid saying double-teaming. (laughs) I almost said it. (laughs) Okay, this is a book question. This is from... uh, This is an email from Ash. Uh, who I believe is a lady, but I don't know. But I think she said, I have a huge affinity for superheroes, but I've never read comics because I already had too many expensive hobbies. After seeing Civil War, I'd like to read a Spider-Man story. Do you have any suggestions of a specific hardback or something similar that be- that uh, could be considered a definitive Spider-Man story slash arc? Preferably something that captures the same energy of Holland's spider. Dave. This is obviously for you. <laughs> yeah, I think definitely what you're looking for if you're something that captures that same energy 
is you're going to want to look at the Ultimate Spider-Man Spider-Man line written by Brian Michael Bendis. Um, uh, if you want to actually get a hardback, there's a beautiful hardback volume one that I think uh, has a really nice quality print of the first, I think, two arcs, which of course includes the origin, which is not in this movie and maybe you don't want to see again, but at least has a Peter Parker that even though he has a outdated haircut is recognizable as a modern teenager. Uh, and then if you want to keep going, I would say you could do the Death of Spider-Man arc leading into the first arc of Miles Morales' Spider-Man and see like really what makes Spider-Man and Captain relationship, Captain America's relationship special and what makes Spider-Man a Spider-Man no matter who's under the mask. I have to say we haven't we've 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 mostly not talked about Batman v Superman. You 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 alluded to Superman, but um, I have to say you, you know you were talking about Captain America and Spider Man's relationship being so special. That tarmac scene is so great in that they're not trying to kill each other except for maybe Black Panther versus uh, Bucky, but like the rest of them, you know, like Cap wants is like. Hey, it's a kid. Like, what? <laughs> what's going on with this kid here? Like, and you look forward to a future movie where Cap and Tom Holland Spider-Man can be on the same side. Like, it's just, it's so like lovely, even as they're fighting each other, versus the like terrible soul-sucking grimness of Batman v Superman. You know, so I mean, that's that's a dust statement. Everyone said that. Okay. Um... <laughs> I'm going to read this because I I love to feel like a smug book reader, as you know. This is from At Will Writes Good, um, and he says, You hoping for more badass T'Challa? 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 T'Challa. Bodyguard like we are. Uh, if he's so badass, you know she must be ridiculous. Um, I got a little, like, thrill when I saw this part because, you know, we see her very briefly when T'Challa and Black Widow come out of the building and she's standing there and she's like, move or you will be moved. I think that's what she says to Black Widow. And and he says, um, as what, as exciting as that prospect is, something like that. Anyway, it's a lovely interaction. It's very small. But I did happen to read the Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Black uh, Panther before seeing the movie because I really just wanted to read that and, and get a sense of the world. And it's, um, the first issue, at least, is a lot of world building of a story that I only know through things that Dave has told me. So it was really a, very fascinating for me to get to know the world of, of Wakanda, to understand the roles and the various players. But this kind of character is in that book. Dave, what is that character it's called? They're called the Dora Milashe. Right. And they're the personal... Uh, bodyguards to whoever the Black Panther is, and uh, they're like just Wakandans' uh, superior women. Um, yeah, so yes, the answer is yes, I am excited to see more of those women in Black Panther, and we presume that Martin Freeman's gonna be in Black Panther, because uh, his character is uh, usually a Black Panther character, and maybe Bucky. Anyone else in Black Panther, Dave? Other than um, Waka- other than Wakandans, uh, I don't know. I, it would depend a lot on 
who they decide uh, the villain's going to be, but I, I don't have any like insider information as to whether we're like actually looking at Andy Serkis coming oh, back yeah, as Claw, Andy which is Serkis. a traditional uh, villain. But I would imagine that, you know, there's a lot of... If we're looking at the comics and what Ta-Nehisi Coates is sort of like introducing with the like grander Wakanda, I think there's a lot to say about... Uh, what it means to be king and Black Panther at the same time, which I would guess is what that movie is going to be about, regardless of what the MacGuffin specifics are. Okay. So yeah, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure that I want. I was not. It's not like I didn't want a Black Panther movie. I just didn't know what. Well, there to was expect, such potential but... for it to just like for this to be bad and then for no one to care about Black Panther and then for some idiot to be like, see, black superheroes. Yeah. And but Chadwick just, Boseman like, was great and yeah. the suit is awesome. The vibranium suit is crazy. There was that, wasn't there a scene, right, where someone like shoots him and he's basically like, what? <laughs> oh yeah, the, hel- like, the helicopter is, yeah. sh- is shooting him. <laughs> and he's like, what? He just looks at it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, this is the last, like, I think we're running kind of long, so this is the last topic I want to bring up before we go. Are you ready, Dave? Yeah. Spider-Man, go. <laughs> uh, it was great. Um, did you stay for the second end credit scene? Yes, I did. This is the thing I want to shout out, is, like, that cool little iOS projection thing is a shout-out to the one element that was missing from the Steve Ditko outfit, which was uh, his belt used to shine the, that spider signal to, like, you know, frighten criminals or whatever. But that's part of the Steve Ditko design. So to see it included at the last second really makes this, like, the most pure uh, Ditko-Romita-Spider-Man combo that has existed on screen. So just everything about it. Uh, I loved it. I loved how it was set up. I'm willing to see that character in a teenage high school comedy made by Sony and still trust it to come through as Spider-Man. So that's that's a breath of fresh air. I thought it was great how much they called out like how young Marissa Tomei is. That, that, I felt like that was... Uh, I think the way my friend put it is that Marvel bought that. They didn't earn it. They bought it. They were like, okay, we'll make a lot of jokes about the fact that we made Aunt May hot in order for you to be okay with Aunt May being hot. Okay? Yeah, great. Okay. Yeah, Marissa like, Tomei is great. We know. We know what we did. Um, I loved him. I thought Tom Holland was great. Is he completely CG when he's in the suit? No. Uh, there was uh, supposedly a 5-2 stuntman in the suit before Tom Holland was even cast. Uh, but the, I, that suit, I think, existed. Okay. It looked very CG to me, not in a not in a super bad way. Um, I will say my least... Actually, okay, I love talking about special effects, so I will do a quick side-by for this. My least favorite special effects moment was actually not Robert Downey Jr.'s um, crazy young face. It was... Um, at the end, Iron Man, like, I think Cap has dropped the shield and walked away, and Iron Man's kind of crumpled up. And we know that Iron Man's suit is always CG, almost always CG, something like that. Mm-hmm. But just Tony's, like, Robbie Downey Jr.'s head, like, whenever the helmet's off, it, it tends to look kind of weird. And in that moment, the way the lighting was, it just looked, like, really wrong that his head was just sort of pasted on there. Did you have any special effect that you were like, mm, this isn't working quite for me? Yep, it's the same one, but at the beginning of the tarmac battle when he lowers his helmet, it's like, isn't it weird how you see people at the airport? And I'm like, good God, that's just like a Snapchat filter effect of that (laughs) suit on him. 
So yeah, I, it didn't it didn't do so well in the harsh gray lighting. They like yeah. as the scene progresses, it looks fine, but the transition from fully CG character to oh hey, Robert Downey Jr. is supposed to be under this yeah. it does not work. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was curious if the Spider Man, I mean, is is probably often CGI, but I guess not always CGI. So that, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah. So Tom Holland is great. Uh, Star Wars jokes, Empire Strikes Back joke, freaking fantastic. Um, all of his quipping just landed really well. His whole attitude in the fight of like trying to impress Tony while also not wanting to actually like harm anyone um, was just great. It was perfect. I loved it. Great introduction of that character. And I am, I was firmly on the team of we don't need a third Spider-Man so soon. And I'm I'm ready now. I'm ready. So yeah, I like that in the movie. It's sort of, you could read between the lines that Tony shows up to get the webbing uh, as like a non-lethal way to hold superheroes and just falls in love with the kid for being Steve and can't help himself to bring him onto the team. For being Steve or for being Peter? What? Oh, no, he's like little Captain America. Oh, okay. I like that. Oh. Um, all right. Okay. I lied. One One last question, I swear. Where do we go from here forward? Because what we have right now is Black Widow's on the run um, by herself, in theory, but she could easily loop up with the others, I guess. Uh, Cap has busted um, Anthony Mackie, uh, Hawkeye, Ant-Man, and presumably Wanda, who was like deeply strapped in and looked terrifyingly upset um, out of prison, and they're on the run. Um, Vision... I don't know, is licking his wounds and feeling sad. Rhodey is paralyzed. Uh, Tony's bummed out. Where do we go from here? Am I missing Wherever anyone? the United Nations wants them to go. Like, I, I wouldn't you kind of, like, okay, well, here's the question. Between, well, no, Ant-Man and the Wasp is apt after Infinity War Part 1, right? Yes. Okay, I was sort of hoping we would get one movie where, like, at least some of the characters are just on the run. Because that is kind of interesting to me. But instead, we might just get a montage of, like, you know, there's a call and they have to assemble, and it's like, you know, uh, Anthony Mackie was being a barista in Prague or something, you know, like, whatever it is, whatever they are doing as they're... Or is it, like, an A-team? Like, what is he going to do? What is it? Uh, I mean, I would hope that... I mean, I think we spent enough time with the core group of these characters that we probably won't see the ones that are on the lamb or the Avengers until Infinity War. I think we'll or we'll orbit around them uh, because I, and then I think you got to spend a lot of Infinity War Part One uh, getting from space uh, to Earth and making us care about Thanos. So it might just be you know shit gets bad and we pick up with somebody. Uh, you know, in the middle of being nomad or being a barista in Europe somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be sad because they've whet my appetite for more of these stories, but I don't think we're going to get them. But I do think it needs to be resolved by Infinity War Part 1 because um, Ant-Man and the Wasp... It would be a weird story to take place if Ant-Man was on the run and Thanos was, like, on Earth. Just be like, no, stop for a caper. Hey. Right. I don't think that would, like, happen. And then Captain Marvel is also still in space, so it's possible that 
Um, anything that we do see about them not being on a team will just be interspersed in Infinity War Part 1. But I don't think we're going to see like an on-the-run movie unless that's what Black Panther ends up being. Right. So between now and Infinity War Part 1, we have Doctor Strange, Black Panther, and Homecoming. Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and Guardians of the Galaxy 2? Right. Oh, yeah. Someone someone emailed us and asked us when we're going to see a female villain. Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2. No, Thor Ragnarok. When is that? When's Thor? That's also coming up. Okay, let's, let's look at our little our little chart here. I think it's kind of out of date, maybe. Um. So, no, Thor is before... Okay, so it goes Guardians of the Galaxy 2... Or Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Spider-Man, Thor... Black Panther, Infinity War Part 1. All right. So we're going to see a female villain in Thor Ragnarok. Earth, space, Spider-Man, space, Earth. Spider-Man is his own thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, you know that I thought of you when uh, the location graphic popped up and it was like, Queens. (laughs) Yeah. Aren't you glad I prepped you? I was like, I know why we're here. I know why we're here. I'm ready. Um, all right. That's all. Anything else we want to talk about before we go? No, I think that's I think that's it. We'll be reconvening to check on the X-Men, to check the pulse of the X-Men franchise. <laughs> oh, yeah. that. I mean, do you want to talk? Do we have time to talk about that really briefly? No, I don't think we need to. Google it if you're curious. Yeah, well, our friend, friend of the show, well, well, Fighting the War Room original, Matt Patches, liked it. Oh, you can't trust what Matt Patches thinks but, about movies. <laughs> but he might have been the only one. So, yeah, that's that's getting pasted. I can't say that I'm too sad about it. Um, I think that X-Men, I don't know, it had such a solid reboot. And they should never let Singer back in. That's what I think. There's still time to change the end credits song to the theme song from the animated series. <laughs> um, what was it you? I think it was um, Neil Miller, who does Storm of Spoilers with us, told me he saw a screening of it. And he, you haven't seen it yet, right? No. He told me that he, he felt, when he came out of it, he felt like it was Amazing Spider-Man 2 in that it is now prime for Marvel 2. <laughs> To welcome it back in with open arms. I mean, I know, I know that first on the list of that is Fantastic Four, right? Like that feels like Marvel. It's going to get a Marvel fix before X Men does. If I mean uh, Foxhole, there's there's no plus side in giving uh, a a license back to Marvel. Uh, You could maybe trade or something, but like both Universal and Fox have to know that they got to keep keep what they got for as long as they have. And then I don't think, like, it'd be great if there was some sort of sharing, but, if, like, that deal is so, uh, like, we haven't figured out how Sony feels about, like, a character that they basically owned adding to the profitability of this huge Marvel movie, and we don't know how Homecoming's going to do, so we still don't know how the business side of all that's going to shake out. So I think we still... Yeah, and we, I think we got blessed with Spider-Man. Let's let's just be okay for a little while. Okay, let's not get greedy. Yeah. Um, well, here's my last question. If, if Apocalypse is dismal and just, like, big time fails, given that Gambit hasn't gone off the ground yet, do you see that just that going away? 
Gambit going away? Yeah. Maybe. I could see Gambit going away and New Mutants stepping into the spot uh, for them going back to a team faster. If it's determined that they're the team half doesn't work because they're cool with team ups because they got Deadpool and cable and like, they think that's money. Uh, if they think that they can't make the team thing work under Brian Singer, then I think, uh, pushing new mutants, maybe trying to shepherd James McAvoy over to that movie just to get some eyeballs on it. And then really, you know, being light with the franchise more like Deadpool, but not like more like Deadpool, just like having jokes about pegging, but like more like Deadpool and being more like the comics. Like New Mutants was like super popular. So I, I imagine that would be the way to go. All right. So, yes, we will be back. Um, what do they say? What do they say in a Marvel movie? Uh, David Joanna will be back in Thoppable colon X-Men colon Apocalypse. Uh, and then we'll be back again for Suicide Squad sometime in August. Well, we might come back more regularly, but we're still in Game of Thrones time. So if you want to hear us talking about Game of Thrones, you know where to find us on Storm of Spoilers. Uh, if you want to hear the larger Fighting the War Room team talk about Civil War, you've got two chances on the regular Fighting in the War Room feed. If you want to hear Katie Rich talk about Captain America Civil War, listen to Little Gold Men. I was on Little Gold Men this week talking about Game of Thrones. It's just podcast incest is what I'm saying. Uh, Tis find- the season. <laughs> you can find my written work on manyfair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Dave, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DA7E and at latino-review.com and geek.com. All right, we'll see you later this month. Bye. <laughs>